Welcome everybody to episode 37 of the Neville Watchers podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, my name is Pete Beckett, and I am joined, as always, by the Neville Watcher himself, Mr. Kurt Lewin. Hello, Pete. <coughs> How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Excellent. So, uh, we've got an interesting one, this one, because we've actually got our first film of Phase 4. So, we're, this time we're covering Black Widow. So... Uh, I'm gonna run, what we're going to do is we're going to run through the cast list as per usual, a bit of trivia, and then we'll talk about um, what we liked, what we didn't like, and then uh, digest some of the key scenes throughout. So, uh, the cast list is this one is uh, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, or known as Black Widow, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, um, Rachel Weiss as Melina, David Harbour as Alexei, uh, Ray Winston as Drakov, Ever Anderson as young Natasha. Violet McGraw as young Yelena and Olga Kurlenko as Antonia or Taskmaster. Uh, this was written by Eric Pierce and directed by Kate Shortland. So just run through a couple of little little bits of trivia. So according to writer Eric Pearson, Florence Pugh teased uh, Scarlett Hansen about Black Widow's iconic pose during during filming. So they put it in the film, which we can talk about that a bit later. Um, uh, another thing was Yelena mistakenly calls Alexei Crimson Dynamo rather than a Red Guardian. In the comics, Crimson Dynamo is a Russian supervillain in a powerful armour who usually fights Iron Man and has been the teammate of the Red Guardian. Uh, and finally, Scarlett Johansson asked her husband, uh, Colin Yost, who is a big Marvel Universe fan, to rehearse lines for the movie uh, with her, but he ref he refused because he didn't want any spoilers. <laughs> I mean, you could kind of understand that, really, but surely your wife asks you to run lines. You just do it. Yeah, or she could have chose some less spoilery ones. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, either that or they could have had a dummy script that was all fake. Mm. Like, all the parts that were spoilers could have been fake. But then again, don't know. Sounds a bit awkward. So, um, as is the usual case, we're just going to give some brief thoughts of what we thought so Kurt what do you reckon um, not one of my favourites um, ooh okay yeah, I thought it was um, average at best um, ooh okay yeah, so, this is going to be interesting so what I thought um, it it reminded me of uh, in certain aspects anyway particularly more at the be at the beginning was um the it, of the Bourne films, um, and I think also it definitely tries to to skirt that line with spy thriller, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it kind of reminded me of um, I'll, I'll say it correctly this time, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not Captain yes. Falcon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, it reminded me of that as well because I also thought that TV show was kind of like inspired by Bourne. But yeah, mm. the whole kind of spy thriller um, aspect to it was definitely what it reminded me of. Um, mm -hmm. What I, in terms of what I liked about it, um, it was the main thing I liked was the fight sequences. I thought that the fight sequences in this were perhaps the best so far in the whole MCU. I thought they were really choreographed apart from one which um, mm. I'll touch on later 
sure. Um, but yeah, otherwise I found myself being pretty bored a lot of the time. And yeah. the pacing seemed really off to me. It was either going 100 miles an hour with the action sequences or it was pretty plodding. Um, yeah. I know that you need to have that balance, but it seemed that it was, yeah, really slow at times and the mm. characters weren't particularly saying anything particularly engaging or interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna. I actually 100% agree with you on this one. It, I, there's not a single thing that I could say that sort of would sum it up any differently. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's boring. It could be methodical at times, and then breakneck speed at the other times. It's just, it's a bit all over the place. If I'm honest, in terms of the plot as well, it's a little bit hit and miss as well. Mm. Um, I will, like I said, I will agree with you in the most part with the action sequences actually and the fight sequences. They are mostly choreographed quite well and it seems to be that Marvel, to a, to a point, are starting to learn that how to actually shoot a cohesive fight sequence. Mm. Which uh, is good to see. Another big problem I had, which in, I should bring up now because it's pretty constant throughout the whole film. I thought the mm -hmm. CGI, again, was pretty poor in this. Other than that, bad. other than that end sequence with the, um, the, what's it? Called? The um, oh, red what the room. skydive? Yeah, that looked good. Yeah, yeah, that looked okay. Uh, um, but I, I think we'll talk about it more in detail, obviously. But I have like one hundred percent agree. CGI looks absolutely appalling at the best of times. Want to talk specifically about the avalanche sequence? Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about that a lot more in a bit more detail, but I want to bring up one more point that is a huge fault against the movie. Why do you cast Ray Winston as Dracov? Yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> bad. His attempts at Russian accents are so appallingly awful. Mm. I, I, I like Ray Winston as an actor, but don't give him like intense stuff to do like this. It's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, I think they they could have chosen someone who was actually Russian or Eastern European. Um, I mean, yeah, they could have done because obviously they did with Olga Kurienko as Antonia. Yeah. So, I mean, that keeps up the spy for all of thing because she appeared in, in a Bond movie. Which one was that? Uh, she was in Quantum of Solace. Oh, all right. Yeah, the one that nobody remembers, <laughs> which is why I had a moment of trying to remember the name. <laughs> well, I, I remember it, but not fondly. Uh, I don't think anyone does. No, but it's it's. Sort of I did like enjoy it more things. than this. Oh, that's <laughs> controversial as well. But well, let's gloss over that because we're not talking about Bond here or Bond. Bond. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get into the the plot then. Let's do it. So the opening is with the. Um, the, both Natasha and her sister as kids um, mm -hmm. and they're like uh, and they're surrogate parents but we don't we don't know that at this time yeah at the time you just you just see it as Rachel Weisz and uh, David Harbour's characters just playing a typical normal American family yeah um, and it becomes apparent that they're like undercover agents and mm. the the 
Uh, so I'm going to call him Red Guardian. Um, he yeah. who's the father. Uh, the Red Guardian being Russia's answer to Captain America. Yeah. Um, him and the mother, they rush them off to the airport, the kids, um, to take them away. Um, that's because they've been they've been like unveiled. The, the American authorities are after them basically because they've been uncovered as being secret agents. Yeah, yeah um, and you don't know who's chasing them until you get to the air the airstrip sequence when you see it's shield. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so and the girls are given to Drake off once um, once they escape in in the plane. Um, but this uh, in this sequence, this was the first time where the CGI was noticeably bad for me. Um, uh, like what? In what way do you see that it was? Well, bad? Uh, not in the sense that it was bad, but I was disappointed that. I could tell it was CGI. Where mm -hmm. so the notes I've made, uh, the note I've made here is, um, with all the money that like Disney have got, why can't why couldn't they do this stunt proper? Because I'm not being funny. It wasn't like um, asking him to do like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Um, how Hanging is off he? the side of a plane yeah. at thirty thirty thousand feet or however many yeah. feet it was at the time. Yeah. Um, it was just as dangerous as it, as it got was a, um, the Red Guardian uh, hanging onto the side of on the on the plane wing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could tell that as it was going down the runway, it was a CGI plane, not an actual plane. Yeah, I. That's why I wanted you to bring it up because I was going to mention that it clearly looks like this is filmed in front of a green screen. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, why it would be so much better if the just did it real. Uh, yeah, I I think that's a fault of um, modern day filming, just generally anyway, especially for companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, and a few others, where they find it is just a thousand times easier to just yeah. have a soundstage and just shoot it in front of a green screen. Whereas you still find classic like filmmakers who still like to use practical effects, and I've always preferred practical over over CGI because I feel like CGI should only really be used for things that you can't necessarily do yourself. Yeah. Um, or it can be used to obviously touch up effects after the fact, which does help. Mm. You you shouldn't film entire films in front of a green screen and. This has been a symptom of Marvel, like I think, since Phase Three, where it feels like a lot of their movies are shot in front of a green screen. Well, even later on, there's a car chase scene, um, and I even thought aspects of that looked like they were CGI. Mm. Um, yeah. I guess the only thing we have to say about that one is that actually, I forgot to mention it obviously in the lead up to this one, but this one was a bit of a different one, because obviously. The way that it came out and how and when it came out was literally post-pandemic, sort of as cinemas were just opening up but not quite opening up. Um, so you'd imagine that filming this film was generally quite a pain in the butt anyway with COVID restrictions and everything as such. Mm. But you'd think like a multi-billion dollar enterprise such as Marvel Disney would still be able to do something a bit better with this. Like in terms of the CGI, well, and is it? We've met. 
so, sorry, was it conf- is it confirmed that this was definitely filmed during the pandemic? I would it would appear so because a lot of those streets look quite empty at times. Right. Like usually you'd have like if you have uh, sequences that are filmed in gen- in cities, it's generally the case that you've got a lot of extras on set. It didn't seem to be that there was a lot of extras on set, sort of walking around filling space. Hmm. So you can only surmise that it was probably filmed around the time. You have to remember as well when it came out in 2021, uh, the way it released was it wasn't exactly in cinemas. It was a premium release via Disney Plus. Yeah. So Although, it's a strange one. It's worth bearing in mind though that um, it was originally. So I'm just looking at the some production notes here. Yeah. It was originally stated to release on May the first, 2020. Yeah. Um, so okay, so maybe it wasn't filmed during the pandemic, mm. or certain reshoots were probably filmed during the pandemic. But obviously, they've had to push it back. Yeah. So um, when did it re- when did it actually release? It was I know it was um, 2021. Uh, one second. Uh, was it March? Uh, it was. No, July. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, I I don't want to see that as a. I I don't want people thinking that that's a negative point. I'm sort of bringing it up as a sort of let's try and give it a little bit yeah, of sort of leeway because it's a bit of a different experience. Let's say. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't forgive bad CGI. Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, after this. Yeah, there's like the sequence that kind of shows a bit of an origin story with... Um, mm-hmm. What song is it that's playing in the background? Um, it smells like Teen Spirit yeah. uh, by... Obviously, it's a cover version. Yeah. And uh, do you want to mention it or shall I? Uh, you, because I, I don't think know. Because I know what you're going to... No, I don't know. Can... I've, I've not, I know, no comments. Uh, okay, can we, can we never, ever, ever, ever cover nirvana songs like this like this badly <laughs> yeah what yeah what was it in the in loki there was something in there where there, there was, was a cover a hero wasn't it oh god yeah, yeah. it was so bad <laughs> like i mean the fact of the matter is that like kurt cobain absolutely hated sounds like teen spirit anyway he wrote it as a joke i think and it was basically like a lot of people surmise that it's all about like corporatism and stuff like that. So for them to make a cover of it and corporatize it is goes exactly against what he wished. And it's kind of <laughs> stupid. It's like, oh, for goodness sake. I tried not to swear there. I really did. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. During that, we, yeah, we see a sequence of um, them both growing up and how they became to be black widows. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically a sh- like flash sequence of like them growing up in the red room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we come back to the present day, and Black Widow she's on the run after the events of um, the battle in um, Leipzig at the airport. Um, so she's yeah, a fugitive, but um, for violating the Sokovia Accords. Yeah, so just to put this in perspective, this is this is set in between. Uh, this is set just after Civil War. This yeah. whole film. Yeah. Um, 
and her sister Bolivia, she's still working for the Red Room. Uh, and we see a sequence where she comes into a fight with another former Black Widow, um, mm -hmm. and who um, puts her in contact with this substance called Red Dust, which um, basically gets rid of the the, co the mind control over her, is, uh, over a Black Widow. Is that what they call it? Yeah, Red Dust. I don't think... It, I never... Did they ever mention it by name in the uh, in the film? Because I don't recall that. I think they do. Okay, yeah. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, she... she um, um, the person who she's just killed, she's got this Red Dust and um, Belovia takes it and... Sorry, uh, Yelena. Yelena? Yeah, her name is Yelena Belova. Right. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and she sends it off to um, Natasha in the hope that she'll um, be able to come and find her. Yeah, so essentially what's happened is that um, Dracov has sent the Widows to go and hunt this, uh, this defector who has this red dust. Um she's on the hunt for for this person and just before she dies because Yelena sort of cuts across her stomach she releases this gas and basically pretty much releases Yelena of the control that Dracov has had over her mm. so she's a, she's a, she's a defector from uh, the Black Widow program essentially what Natasha does as well but Natasha does it in a very different way all those years ago yeah and so we go back to Natasha and she's in like this um uh caravan what do you call it um like RV vehicle yeah um, we'll call it a motorhome motorhome yeah and that's been provided by this contact and are we supposed to know who this guy is Rick Mason I don't think so. I just think it's supposed to be one of her shady contacts. Right. Because I just thought that was weird. Um, or, well, I just would have liked a bit of, like, who who is this guy? Even something really brief. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I think who he is is essentially explained by the course of events, you know. He complains at Natasha a couple of times throughout the film that he's never given any time, money, or uh, resources to actually help her to get to gather things. Yeah, so, how from is... what you can surmise from it, obviously, he is—he's essentially a gun runner, or he's—he he, specialises in um, gaining equipment that's probably ex-Soviet. Okay. I don't know. I'm not convinced. I I could I could forgive it for when he was get like he gets the he's sorting her out with accommodation and he's a, even that helicopter that they get later on. Mm -hmm. But when he, at the end of the film he's able to uh, clutch out of thin air the whole um, what the Quinjet. Yeah, like that's dumb. Yeah, how's he getting that? <laughs> uh, um. Well. I'm not going to say that I know, because I definitely don't. It, it's definitely something that probably should have been explained a little bit better throughout the film. Um, the fact is that you can only sort of surmise that with everything that goes on towards the through the course of events through the film, 
the only reason he's able to get hold of a Quinjet is probably by making a deal with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Or Tony Stark. But... Yeah, what's his... Who knows? Yeah. yeah. What's, it, what, yeah, what's he got to bargain with? Not a lot, I don't think. Yeah. Even though he's an incredible negotiator, which I'd love to have seen at some point, but you're right he is not explained overly well but i think like to have no backstory like it's not necessarily true because he does give little threads by the dialogue choices okay um right so where were yeah um they um uh natasha eventually goes to find her sister and finds her and they have a bit of a fight um, and that was cool and that was like I think this was one of the first instances of um, how good I thought the choreographing was for the, the fight scenes in this uh, it did this seem one very, is one of the better ones sorry yeah it did seem very Bourne-esque like there was a moment where one of them grabs something uh, I can't remember what it was now, but it, it reminded me no, of in the Bourne film where there's a fight in um, Bourne Identity where Jason Bourne has a fight with a biro pen. It kind of reminded me of that. Um, uh, was I want to say was that an Identity or was that Supremacy? I might think have it's been Supremacy, Supremacy in Germany where he's where he's fighting him with a biro yeah. pen. Or no, you're right. It is Identity. Uh, and then uh, it's a newspaper in supremacy, right? Yeah, <laughs> or a magazine, or a rolled-up magazine. Yeah, that's but yeah. Right. I, I I get you. I get your point here. You the use of objects like throughout the film to try and make an impact is de- definitely something that they've learned from the Bourne movies. Yeah, I think a lot of films have learned that from Bourne. Yeah, it wasn't just a typical. Oh, I've got a knife now. Even though I think yeah, there is they, one point where she does hold a knife. <laughs> they do. I think they both do start out with knives. Hmm. Um, but anyway, eventually they peace breaks out, and um, it's established what the mission is going to be. So Romanoff. Oh, before all this, we have the scene. Yeah, with I was going to say we've had, had it. Yeah, we've missed the key scene. Yeah. Um, again, this was another poor use of CGI because um, awful. Yeah, you can tell that those cars weren't real that were exploding. And again, you'd, like even if it was filmed in COVID, um, mm. I think you could do a car exploding, a real car exploding. Yeah, like even I agree. BBC has cars exploding. Um, yeah. That's a, is that a scathing indictment of the BBC or the poor CGI on this film? I, I don't know, think it's a right. good like if the BBC can have a real like if if they've got a a scene where a car explodes, it's a real car exploding, not a yeah, CGI that's true. one. Yeah, very true. I mean, if you if you look at the explosion that comes in from the very first one with what is obviously supposed to be like a rocket launcher missile, mm. um, the, the color contrast and the brightness is like. It's put up to 11, and it's kind of stupid. Mm. It's so unbelievably obvious that it's fake. Yeah. It's so dumb. And even the fire on the car after the fact looks so fake <laughs> as well. It's yeah. so shocking. So, but I do want to talk about 
probably one of the biggest disappointments for me throughout this entire film. And that's Taskmaster. Yeah. So, I understand that they've obviously changed the character of Taskmaster to fit with uh, fit with the narrative throughout the movie, obviously being Antonia, which is Alexi, uh, not Alexi, sorry, it's um, Drakov's daughter that is killed by Natasha at a different point in time where, where she defects. She she specifically says it later on in the film where she's like, uh, "That was my old. That was my final. Um, uh, my final betrayal that led to my defection to Shield." I think is the line. Um, I mean, no, I was, thought I it, thought she that was a mission given to her by Shield in order to. That's that's yeah. what I mean. That's what, I think the line the line was is that was my ultimate betrayal that led to my defection to Shield. Right. Okay. So. Um, oh jeez, yeah, I I get that it's supposed to be part of the narrative. Um, I, I I totally understand that. The fact is, is that it was incredibly obvious. It was I, I think they set it up far too early and far too easily that it was quite easy to work out. But my biggest disappointment is the fact that Taskmaster is an incredible character in the comics, so unbelievably good, mm. and so interesting as a character. That they've just they've essentially just narrow, nailed it down to mind controlled useless idiot at times, and I don't I really don't like that because Taskmaster himself or herself, um, depending on obviously the iteration, like has the ability to mimic anybody just by looking at them, and you get brief glimpses of that mm. throughout the film. But it's the technology side of things which disappoints it for me because it was a natural ability for Taskmaster throughout the comic run. And it's it's fantastically done in the comics. I just think it's so blatantly bad in this one that it just... It's essentially ruined a character that I was really looking forward to seeing on screen. Yeah. And look, take nothing away from Olga, like Olga Korolenko, who plays the role... I don't think she's given a lot to do. No, no, I agree. So it's it's quite disappointing. When I'd heard that Taskmaster was coming in, as soon as I saw that that helmet in the trailers, I went, oh my God, they're finally doing Taskmaster. I can't wait. And I I watched this in the cinema and I walked away and I went, they've killed Taskmaster. How dare they? Yeah, to, be, anyway. to be honest, it, it was only through reading up on the, the plot here... Um, Hmm. that I even knew that was what the character's name was. Yeah, it's not very obvious because they don't say it throughout the film. No. not Or they briefly mention it, but, but those who were obviously in the know knew who it was because of the mimicry. Yeah. But regardless, though, it just came across as, like, yeah, a boring side villain. It kind of seemed like in a video game it would be, like, a bit a side a mini boss yeah that's exactly what it felt like like Dracos the main boss and this is sort of like the henchman yeah so it is the Shiva to the Mr. X if you want to use a Streets of Rage analogy mm. um, so yeah going back um, forward a bit more um, they uh, well we'll go to this avalanche scene because that's what the helicopter provided by Rick Mason is used for they go to break yeah. out Dracoff from the, the prison that he's in uh, it's Alexi they're trying to break out the, the Red Guardian oh so, sorry yeah 
No, um, that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, do you want to go over this CGI of the avalanche? <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> it reminded me of Die Another Day. Another Bond film bring, being brought up here and another um, not great Bond film. Uh, uh, um, are we talking about the specific scene where he's driving on the ice in that? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, it was oh, a, a I... mix of that and the scene where um, he's windsurfing on a tsunami. Yes, I, I've only seen the film once and that was all I could tolerate. <laughs> but I do remember that of how bad it was. It was, I think it was at that point, it was the Pierce Brosnan's junk the shark moment as Bond. Yeah. It's and the invisible car. Although, to be fair... Oh. At least in that situation, they have a an excuse to use CGI. Yes. Um, although, to be fair, in this film, you're not really going to want to use. You're not going to want to set off a real avalanche. So, fair enough. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily advisable to do so, but you know, <laughs> you know, you got you have got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Mm. But yeah, in both cases, though, we don't think it looked very. Good. Oh, this is probably the worst case of CGI I think I've seen across the MCU so far. It's appalling. Mm. Like for a multi-billion-dollar corporation, like you'd think they'd be able to put a bit more budget into it. Not, not even necessarily the budget. A bit more time, possibly. Yeah. I, I think that's the that's the feeling that's coming across from quite a lot of the CG artists that are coming out over the last few weeks. Yeah, I've been reading another, about that. Yeah. Yep, it's another mention. That's like three episodes in a row now that I think I've mentioned this. <laughs> so it, it's the fact that Disney don't give them time and it's just, it's becoming very apparent that a lot of this is boiling down to let's get content out for Disney Plus. And I, I think, and I've had this, um, I, I'd say I've had this disagreement with quite a few people actually, like across both Twitter, Discord and a few in-person conversations is that um, the quality is really starting to show now. Whereas, like the first couple of phases, like most of those films were generally good. Like, yeah. and if they weren't good, they were visually like visually pleasing as well. Yeah, like, that, I think with... that if you go, go back all the way back to the Incredible Hulk, um, mm. can you remember the scene with the? Um, it's like outside a college or university. Um, uh, when he first gets there, yeah. Yeah, and um, you have the sequence with the um, army tank. Yes. Um, like, I think if they did that now, it'd be CGI. Yeah, it would be, and it would look appallingly bad. Mm. Like, I, I think a lot of people unnecessarily like, sort of dump on a few of the films for being quite, let's say, poorer in quality. Mm. But I think, I, I think the thing that... F- Thing, uh, phase four is going to be remembered for is it's incredibly poor CGI mm. and I, I know not everyone agrees with us because it was another situation where Falcon and the Witness Soldiers comments got brought to, uh, up again on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> so hey we're unpopular we get that <laughs> but I, I'm not I'm not about to sit here and just um, swallow what Div- Disney is giving me and accept it because it's not good. 
Mm. Like in terms of a CGI, like the CGI, it's quite appalling, and it really takes you out of a movie to to, to see all these visual effects be so incredibly bad. But for the size of the company, yeah, and how much That's money what I mean, they've got, like, you'd but... expect so much more from them. Yeah. That's where I think a lot of the disappointment is, is because the Marvel movies make a lot of money. Disney as an enterprise have more money than God. So why are they skimping out on one of the mo- one of the more important sides of when it comes to a Marvel movie or TV series? Yeah. Like it's like a lot of these things can't be done like a lot of the time practically, so you will need some effects there. Yeah. So like, I haven't seen the film yet, but from what I've heard, um the new Jordan Peele film, um, Nope. Nope. Um, apparently, has some really cool CGI in it. And yeah, because I think I think the thing about Jordan Peele is that he's a he's a more of a practical director. Like a lot of what he does can be done sort of practically mm. and naturally. Whereas, like you look at a film like Get Out, and the only sort of real instance you have of a CGI moment is probably the after effects of when he goes into um into the comatose state that he does. Yeah. So and I think that's a really, really good use of it there. So mm. when it's used sparingly, it can be done very, very well and uh can add to an experience. Whereas with these it's like they're an over reliance on the CGI and it's taking you out of the experience in doing so. Yeah. Like that, that that's going to come back later on. Um, yes. in my final thoughts um, okay. but um, just a small point on this that we brought up earlier um, in this sequence I think this is the first time we have the joke about the pose that Natasha does yeah so we see it very briefly in the apartment where she, oh, um, uh, Yelena's talking about it and if, if this wasn't in the trailer it probably would have got a better laugh out of me because it is it is a funny moment, but this is what became like one of the biggest things in the trailer. Yeah, and I think that really this is the only running joke in the film. I can't remember any other moments of humour much. No, and I'll be honest with you, didn't necessarily need it either. No. It, it, if they're going to do a spy thriller, like, do a spy thriller, like, make it as as serious as anything. Yeah, because you know. her character, um, sorry, what's uh, Elena's character? Um, mm. She seems very sarcastic a lot of the time. Yeah, as and that's part she's... of her character. I get that. Yeah, um, like... but it seems as if that's trying to be played for laughs that don't really land. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, they um, they do break him out um, of prison and they go back to a family home, um, or well, not the family home, but they go back and meet up with their mother, um, yeah. who's in Russia in a, on a farm using mind control on pigs. Uh, yeah. This is where it's revealed that they they weren't actually a real family, um, but the she still wanted to. Be, believe that they were so that that's elena yeah so 
because Yelena uh, was very young at the time, I think she was only six, wasn't she, when this all occurred. Mm. She believed all of this to be real. Like, this is her real family, it's her real parents, it's her real sister, you know. She didn't realise that this was, you know, espionage at its highest form in terms of that side of things. So I think it's the poignant moment where actually she, I think it is that she says to Natasha, it's like, it felt real to me or it was real to me, or something along those lines. And it's like one of the mo- one of the only impactful moments in terms of dialogue throughout this film, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I'd agree with you. Um, mm. And in fact, I probably might have liked them to um, play on that a bit more. I agree. Because um, it didn't form a great portion of the film. Um, Not particularly, no. Because... Shortly after this, we go straight back into the action with, um, um, so the mother, uh, Bostikov has given their location to Drakov, who sends his agents in to take them away to the Red Room. Yeah, so I'm just going to take this back. Was it obvious to you that Melina was still working for Drakov? No. Okay, because I, I mean... I'll be. I'll admit, I saw this in cinema when it first came out, but that was the one thing I saw straight away. I went, it's another situation of um, hiring a big-named actress for her to be, you know, kind of have this heel turn and face turn later on. It's it's becoming very formulaic at this point, and I said the exact same thing about Gugu and Barfarora in the Loki series. Oh, I what? mean, Rachel Weisz is a huge actress, incredible actress as well, so... It's kind of obvious that she was going to have a bit more to do. Well, the way I read the situation and uh, was that she revealed their location on purpose in order to be able to get them into the red room to be able to confront Drakeoff. But, but that's what I'm saying is that um, she. It was kind of obvious to me that she was going to have this this heel turn, like she was always working for Drakeoff. And then later on, like because of the name of the actress, you know full well that it's a fake out and she is actually doing the full face turn. Right, okay. You know, so using the wrestling analogies there, you know, mm. going from a bad guy to a good guy, basically, or good girl to a bad girl, whatever. So, you know, it, it was a bit obvious. And that, I think this becoming a bit of a symptom of employing huge, huge name actors and actresses for these kinds of roles. Um, so yeah we this is the point in the film when we um get to the red room which is uh, mm. like an airborne facility yeah so now this is interesting is um it, they actually decided to go very literal with this one especially with the line of how do you think he's about, uh, uh, been able to stay above the radar mm. so yeah. hmm yeah like I'm not going to say it was clever, but it was like probably the most intelligent thing out of this whole movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the thing this is one of the better uses of CGI. Um, yes, and especially with the end sequence when it's all fall into the ground. Um, but before mm-hmm. we get to that, um, we most of this part of the film is between Drakoff and Natasha. Yeah. Um, there's a, a lot of back and forth, and 
reveals so this is where we discover about Drakoff's daughter being taskmaster yep um i think at that point when she was about to take off her helmet that was the point where just before she took it off that's the point when i thought oh yeah it's gonna be his daughter yeah um yeah i think they they telegraphed that one quite obviously at that in that scene alone because they're talking about Yelena uh, Antonia sorry and then Taskmaster appears yeah one thing yeah. though that did confuse me is where did this mask technology come from that Natasha and her mum was using oh the um like the, the disguise the first time that they've used this since um Winter Soldier right okay if you remember, Natasha actually uses it in Winter Soldier to confront... God, why do I forget his name? Um, the main villain of, of Winter Soldier. It's played by Robert Redford. Right. So she she manages to sneak into his main office thinking she's someone else. Yeah. All right. If it's been in a previous film, then I'll uh, excuse it. Um, they I, have they definitely have utilised this technology before but they, it's been a long time yeah um, the thing that so Ray Winston's character Drakoff he seems pretty devastated that he had to put this chip into his daughter's neck in order to mm. enable her to survive um, he seems pretty upset at that but he also doesn't seem to have any issue with the fact that what he's doing with all these other women making them mind controlled black widows um, that kind of made me now I thought that was questionable as a character it's hugely, it is hugely questionable and, and kind of stupid at the same time Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very badly written villain I'm afraid and it's another it's it's a situation where they've obviously given a bit a, a bigger name actor to do a role because he plays villains quite well mm. but um don't give don't give an actor like Ray Winston who is very 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 typically english <laughs> to do russian it's not a good idea mm. because you can tell that he wants to chew scenery but the dialogue dialogue is not good enough for him to chew scenery yeah. So, um, it. I right, also just whilst whilst we're talking about Ray Winston, if you want to see a really good villain turn from Ray, Ray Winston that will absolutely ruin you as a person, watch <laughs> Nil by Mouth. Absolutely horrible film, but very intense. Right. Okay. Um. So, uh, the way that um, Natasha goes to try and stab him. Um, mm-hmm. but she's there's something still within her um, she cannot harm Drakoff due to a, a pheromone lock that he's installing every widow um, yeah. and the only way to negate this is by destroying a nerve which is in your nasal passage yeah it's specifically the line that's said by Melina, uh, Melina and um, Natasha is seven a nerve yeah which she does by smashing her head on the table. And breaking um, her nose. Yeah. I did think there... Mm, you, you got pretty lucky there that he managed to sever that nerve right on cue. 
yeah. and pretty com- uh, you actually managed to do it that intensely in the moment that you needed it mm. and yeah mm. and in the exact position that severs the nerve um, but anyway also why the hell does Drakov send away his best agent with Taskmaster or Antonia mm. while she's still in the room yeah. why would you do that mm. I know he's overconfident in thinking yeah she definitely doesn't know about this pheromone but surely as a backup like as an insurance policy you would just leave her in the room in case yeah Um. and yeah, this this whole sequence is something that I le- alluded to earlier. Um, sure, I think it was a good use of C. It was an impressive use of CGI in this instance with all the stuff falling down from the sky and yep. the parachuting sequence um, and skydiving um, and yep. like Taskmaster gets involved. That was all cool. However. With it being up to this point a spy thriller, I thought it just went in this final sequence. It just went back into being a typical MCU fodder of a of an ending of big CGI fest, lots of mm-hmm. explosions and stuff. I agree. Which, yeah, it's not really in fitting with the theme of the entire movie. Yeah, so it was kind of. I don't want to say disappointing because I did think it was one of the better aspects of the film but it would have been cool if it stuck to the theme more of what we'd seen up to that point I guess I tell you what right the way that they could have very like could have tried to have done it is um, Melina is obviously like still uh, or is working for Dracov but she doesn't want to work for Dracov anymore so when Natasha Yelena and Alexei turn up she reveals obviously what he's done like where he is and they then try and find a way to infiltrate the building you know yeah yeah um they could have done it like that and then obviously she then has a confrontation with Dracov, manages to kill him without anyone else knowing and then it's a then it's just an escape from the red room before it obviously comes crumbling down because there's um there's a switch in there that means that it goes down and destroys itself if Dracov is ever killed mm. as a as a security protocol so that's the way you could have done it so it's you could have done it as like an escape from the red room you know that way and then you could still have Taskmaster play into it you still have the reveal obviously of it being Antonia yeah, but it's just it? not not it's not it more fits in terms of the theme of the movie with the spy thriller rather than being a CGI schlock fest yeah, you could have had Taskmaster as like so. Would like in, I think a good dynamic would have been like you say, Elena and um, Black Widow, going after trying to assassinate Dracoff undetected, mm-hmm. um, but um, somehow having Taskmaster also on the chase for them at the same time. Yeah. Um, but then again, I guess Taskmaster would let no Dracoff know that were in the building yeah um, probably so yeah. I, I'm not too sure how they would manage to do that one but yeah I, I, I'm just spitballing things off the cuff really because I do agree I think they should have gone with something that was a lot more tonally correct in terms of the movie rather than big action set piece at the end yeah so let's talk about the um, 
Well, the ending is um, the red. There's a red dust file that's on a portable drive that's um, allows them um, that Natasha ta uh, gives to Elena, who's going to go and uh, I guess free the other widows. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Or that still exist around the world. Um, and then we go two weeks later, Romanoff, who's now got blonde hair, she's reunites with Mason and he supplies her with the Quinjet. Yeah, and she... so this is obviously bridging the gap between uh, this film and uh, Infinity War. Yeah. And the post credit scene, which um, is... This is... I'm guessing is in between... Is this van in between the vanishing? I because it's Elena know. at the grave of Natasha. Yeah. Um, and she says, and then on comes along the lady who we've seen before, um, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Um, yeah. Now her employer, and yeah, she says that Clint Barton, who is Hawkeye, is responsible for Natasha's death. Not wrong. Right. Okay, so when did this happen? So I would imagine this is after the... Uh, or this is around about the time when the world finds out the Black Widow is dead. As a result of, obviously, the actions of having to try and stop Thanos. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you if you do remember, she obviously dies trying to find the Soul Stone. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's more of the fact that the world knows that she's dead. So therefore, Yelena now knows she's dead. Yeah. Um. Obviously, this this lady, which I'm not even going to try and go through <laughs> the name because there's far too many names to even recall there. Um. She's obviously got intelligence that Clint was the one who's done it. Mm. I mean, she's not wrong. Like I said. Yeah, yeah. But she's not necessarily right at the same time either. Yeah. I did find it kind of weird though that... So this this post-credit scene seemed pretty important that you'd want mm -hmm. to stick it not as a post-credit scene in case people don't see it. Because to me this is setting up... Uh, I'm, I'm, don't spoil anything for me, but I'm predicting that she this is what Hawkeye TV show is all about. Um, well, I can't spoil on that one because I'm none the wiser because I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Remember, um, we decided that I was going to yeah, go blind yeah. for the series, so I've not got anywhere close to it. So, okay. no idea. Looking right. forward to seeing whether or not that one pays off in Hawkeye. Hmm. Um, but, yeah. Uh, did it feel to you that this was quite obviously setting up Yelena as the new Black Widow? No, I thought she was... She, uh, Like I say, I think she's just going to be a villain in um, Hawkeye. Okay. Um, to be honest, I didn't think that they would... I, I just thought Black Widow was a dead character now. Uh, I, I, I got this distinct feeling that this is supposed to be the Black Widow replacement. Right. Okay. Because I, I, I don't know. I just... I'll wait and see on that one. It's just maybe I'm becoming jaded by these that I'm starting to see a lot of old characters getting replaced mm. so hey ho it's fine 
So let's run through um, uh, likes and dislikes quickly, and then just give it a big old rating. So you want to go for uh, go first yeah, and so, summarize? Yeah. So main or real, the only thing I really liked about it was the uh, fight sequences that were really well done for the most part. Um, but pretty much everything else I thought was quite boring and dull. And then the, I really didn't like the direction they took with the CGI, either its implementation or the fact that they was using CGI in the first place when I felt that they could have used practical effects instead. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, yeah, it just didn't, wasn't too engaging for me. And I thought the pacing sure. was too erratic and okay. I'd give it a, t- yeah, I'd, this might seem harsh, um, but it is one of my least favorite films. Um, I'd probably put it, um, I'd probably put it on a par with Ant-Man and the Wasp. But not as okay. bad as um, Thor: Dark World. Um, so I'd probably, I'd, but having said that, I'd still give it a two out of five. Okay. Um, so I'll summarise my thoughts on it and something that we didn't necessarily mention throughout the whole um, talk of the film. This film came well too late. So it kind of defeats the whole point of your film to give uh, one of your classic Avengers a solo film that was a long time in waiting when you already know she's dead. Mm. So there's no stakes to it as a result. You know she's going to survive the events of this because she then goes on to die in a later film. This film should have been in phase three. Should have been, should have either come straight after Civil War or in that phase at a different point to bridge that gap before Thanos turns up. But even then, like, the film is appalling. It's, and I don't use the word lightly, it is so bad that I was incredibly bored to tears throughout the whole movie. Um, admittedly, like you said, the CGI was some of the worst I've, I've probably ever seen from a company of this size. Um, and bearing in mind that I watched Joss Whedon's uh, Justice League more than once. That was bad. Um, the The pacing is all off. The The plot is all off. Um, the, I think the only sort of... Um, the only sort of saving grace from this is that Florence Pugh as Yelena is actually not bad. And I look forward to seeing a bit more of her going forward. But everything else around this, as a swan song to uh, Scarlett Johansson's run as Natasha... It's a very anticlimactic and a very disappointing way to finish her run as Black Widow. Yeah. So, I'm I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be as harsh as ever with this one. I actually am gonna say this is worse than for the Dark World. Wow. So this is your le- yeah. least favorite of the whole. Um, yeah. Universe. Because so it's far. absolutely because it suffers with not only the the fact that its pacing is all off, but it is so boring. Hmm. And that was one of the hugest criticisms that I had with For the Dark World. I was so bored I couldn't remember what happened. The problem with this is that whilst being so bored, I still remembered what happened from the cinema and remembered how utterly excruciating it was to watch. (laughs) So I'm not being nice to this movie. It is appallingly bad. 
Right. I'm yeah. I'm gonna be interested to hear what our audience how they rate it. Uh, I'm. I already know I'm a harsh critic. If people don't like it, fair play. Well, I'm yeah. not gonna necessarily disagree with with yourself, but I'm when, try try and change my mind. Okay, so I did when I was looking at um, recap articles. I did see a review from the Guardian, Pete Bradshaw. He gave it mm-hmm. four stars, and I was like, "What?" Out of five? Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe. I it. mean, uh, I'll ask one of two questions: um, What were you drinking at the time? And B, whatever you were drinking, can I have some of it? Because clearly, it meant that you enjoyed this a hell of a lot more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, enough. Expositing. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. So, Kurt, do you want to let everyone know where they can find yourself on social media? Yeah, I'm at angry underscore Kurt, and we are at Neverwatchers on Twitter. Um, we did have some uh, useful feedback on our TV episodes, which means going forward we're going to be changing those up. So, f- for the TV series, whenever we cover those, um, instead of doing two episodes per show. Um, we're going to be doing the full series in one episode and less focusing on the plot and more just going over the the key points that we really liked and uh, disliked throughout this Mm. series so yeah the the feedback that we got was obviously that they didn't particularly want to wait in between to find out our thoughts between episode or the next set of episodes so we thought it was fair so we're gonna we're gonna trial that out with the next series so but if you have any more feedback and you feel like you uh, have a lot more to say than 280 characters on Twitter, you can email us at neverwatcherspodcast at gmail.com. But you can also come and find me personally on Twitter at Pete Beckett one uh, which is spelled B-E-C-K-E-T-T and the number one. I'm sort of expecting a few harsh comments, if I'm honest. Mm. And so, we're also in various um, discords. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. I forgot about that. So yeah, if you want to come and check us out on discord um i think both of us are in modern escapism as well as uh rapid reviews uk and a few others around so we're there you can find us yep so okay so uh next time we're going to be on episode 38 which uh we're back onto the tv series so we're going to trial out the new format with that one with what if so this is going to be an interesting one because i've heard some very crazy things about what if so we'll see but you want to hear what what we think about that one you're gonna have to wait and come and check us out on the next one goodbye bye